Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Caravan Podcast, a show about Pakistan's startup ecosystem where we have intimate conversations with founders and investors driven to catapult Pakistan into the digital age. We'll discuss what it's really like to start a business, the highs and the lows, the setbacks, the comebacks, the lessons, everything. I'm your host, as always, Ahmad Mia, partner at Caravan, a community-driven venture capital platform. Now, given the nascent ecosystem, there's a massive spread between the talent in the country and the resources that are available to support them. Our mission at Caravan is to close that gap by providing both capital and expertise at the earliest of stages. You can find more information about Caravan at www.caravan.vc. In this episode, I sit down with Mustafa Khan, the co-founder of Mocha Online, a Pakistani app-based platform for booking domestic help. Mustafa talks us through the journey of Mocha and outlines the lessons both pre and post the current COVID situation. Um, so Mocha is an on-demand service for domestic helpers. It's uh, the first of its kind in Pakistan. From the click of an app, you, from the button of uh, an app, you can simply call in a cleaner, a maid, a cook, a babysitter, an elderly care person to your home whenever you need them. We've been operating in Islamabad, Bindi and Lahore for approximately two years now. Um, and that's in a nutshell what Mocha uh, provides to customers. We're a social enterprise, which means we take care of and we built on the very hard work of our helpers. So most of our processes, our systems are designed around them. When Mocha started, it started with an aim to bring uh, these very people in the informal sector into the formal sector and help them get rights and, and basically protect them. And so how have you kind of structured the business with the different business processes and the bank accounts and, and all of these different items that you've done how have they kind of come about with that social lens of the business? So we are structured as a for-profit in Pakistan. Um, there is no distinction for a social, there is no formal distinction or category for a social enterprise in Pakistan. There's either a non-profit or a for-profit. So we're structured as a for-profit. Our social enterprise and the aspects come in in our mission statement, in our values. Um, that's where we live them day in and day out. So from small decisions, um, let's say, helpers getting to choose which customers to go to, um, that has nothing to do with how the company is formally or legally structured, but has a lot to do with our ethos, with our values. So that's where the social enterprise that comes in. When you started, social enterprise can then enter even with this kind of non-transparent nature of, of government entities, for-profit company. Have you seen like an influx of more companies getting into this middle sector of a social enterprise since you guys have started? For sure. 
For sure. Uh, we've noticed a lot of companies, a lot of even traditional businesses are positioning themselves towards the social enterprise. Um, it's a, I, I will not definitely not take credit for this, but I think there's a general awareness um, that businesses need to be a lot more responsible. And the founders uh, ethos also comes in. So that is certainly the case. We've witnessed that. So if I go back a step, how did you justify taking the risk of, of coming? I mean, you, you were studying abroad, you came back to Pakistan and starting this company. How did you start? How, how did you justify taking the risk? Um, Ahmad, we're very privileged, both Sunny and I, I. Both of us have great degrees. We had a great corporate, we've had great corporate jobs as well. Um, and it was this, we've, we've been having, we, we had been having these discussions about how do we give back to um, society? How do we give back to Pakistan, to the many other people who are not as privileged as us? Um, neither of us has ever pondered philanthropy or because one, we don't have the resources, but uh, we, we, since both of us come from business backgrounds or corporate backgrounds, we've always thought that there's more value created um, in businesses and that value can be distributed much more evenly. So there was this desire to create a business that could benefit a lot of people, particularly at the base of the pyramid. That was the initial desire. And we explored quite a few options um, and almost, well, all of them failed except one, which was this, which was to um, uh, serve the domestic helpers and bring them and offer them an alternate way of earning a livelihood. So that has so, been, Jibab, the, that had been the desire. Sorry. So when you and you were looking into the ideation of, of, of Mocha and, and how you're going to create the business processes, up and you have a business that's both supply side and demand side and both of those you have to create how did you kind of create the process of onboarding helpers and mm -hmm. how were you able to get the first like thousand customers hmm. so onboarding the helpers uh, was the more difficult uh, challenge for sure um, it required a lot of humility and it required actually physical outreach. So Sunny and I both spent a lot of time uh, time in slums across Islamabad. We would sit with the community elders and leaders. We would sit with our target uh, audience, which were females uh, already employed as domestic helpers um, around town. And we tried our best to listen to them. We tried our best to understand what were the reasons um, that what were what were the things that we could create that would compel them to join us. Now, apart from just having a higher pay, we all understand that uh, offering a higher pay, pay somehow trumps everything, but that that is not necessarily true. So we tumbled upon uh, this insight that. Every single domestic helper struggled with transport. Um, they struggled with uh, going from their home to the to their employer's home every day. And when we offered them free transport, company paid transport, that was actually the deal clincher with them. And since then, we we've been trying to build this. Um, on the demand side. Um, we thought that it would be very difficult to overcome reservations of customers, of letting in people 
into their homes that they're not familiar with. Um, yeah, um, we thought that would be the bigger challenge and it was. So we had to take a shout and we had to tell everyone that we verify all our helpers, which we do. Uh, we would do another verification of our helpers and most importantly, we would visit each helper's home and talk to their neighbors, talk to their grocery store guy, talk to their family. That is, so in effect, we were building social collateral. Once uh, customers realized that we were doing a good enough job with the verification bit, that's when they started letting uh, helpers in. Um, our first thousand customers was all on word of mouth. Um, we'd have, we didn't advertise for the first thousand or so. Um, they all came because one customer used us. She was happy with the service. Uh, she liked it. She invited her friend or relative in. So that's how we grew the demand side for the first thousand. It's really interesting, Jesse, like you, you have these insights, you go talk to the customer, you talk to the supply side, you go, you talk to the helpers and you get these insights and then you rebuild and you come back and you, and, and you come back together with the company and build on certain things. Could you give me an example of, of certain innovations or certain pivots that you did with the business? Because I know that, I mean, we've, we've talked about this at length before and you've, you've showed us the back end systems that you have in place. Like, I, I want you to give me an example, Joapne, through these either uh, services being done or mm -hmm. these discussions with helpers, yeah, oh, yeah, so, yeah your customers? Hmm. So um, I'll first share some examples from the supply side. Um, when, when we started recruiting uh, helpers, our transport model was and still is transport via motorbikes green motorbikes across town. Mm -hmm. Now, that's culturally, that's something that's uh, not happening right now. Women do not sit behind an unrelated man on a motorbike across Pakistan. So that doesn't happen. So um, we were trying to convince the ladies. We were trying to convince them uh, to please join us. And there was a lot of reluctance. Um, it took us a while to understand that the reluctance was wasn't really theirs. The reluctance was uh, from the male members of their family. Um, and our, of course, uh, our gut reaction was to approach the men and explain to them what we were doing. So we went to slums, we, we sat with them um, where they were more comfortable um, and tried to explain what we were doing, tried to explain the economic benefit of all of this, um, but there were no tangible results. And then um, once we actually called a few of the male relatives, the husbands of potential helpers to our office, um, we thought this was going to be an inconvenience because see, there's this person who's already reluctant to have his wife join a company. And now the company saying, hey, why don't you come over to our office first and meet us? So it, it was counterintuitive at that time. But when the... Uh, uh, men did come to our office, we noticed how in awe they were of our office. We were at that point in time uh, at the National Incubation Center. So that's a very impressive, a huge space. Um, and we kind of pretended that this was our entire office. This was, <laughs> office, this was us. Um, and they, they got sold uh, because all the men had previously worked in offices and worked for uh, 
sort of corporate employers. So they could see that this was a very big organization, a professional setup, and it wasn't just a bunch of kids uh, trying to convince them to let their women ride on motorbikes. Um, so that's that was a breakthrough for us. After that, it became a standard operating procedure for us that ladies had to bring in their husbands, brothers, fathers, whoever they wanted, uh, to our office. And we would give uh, the male relative a complete tour of, a tour of our office, including the back-end engine, the Kareem Porter, um, everything. Um, and we were actually you know, showcasing everything to the men because we knew these, um, this is where the decision was going to be made. The women were already convinced. And so that's uh, Got it. one way that we kind of pivoted our supply side. That's super interesting. And and then on, uh, if you tell me about the fundraising process that you guys had, how mm. was that? Was it difficult to convince people of your idea of, of, of being a social enterprise when you went into, into your fundraising mode? Mm. Oh, it was actually. We didn't know what was helpful or not, whether telling people about the social aspect was um, was good or bad, to be honest. We, I, I personally couldn't read potential investors. When we would mention the social aspect of it, uh, people would say, oh, okay, so you guys are in it for just the helpers. So, you know, you should go for some nonprofit kind of an arrangement. And that's about it. When we would highlight only the business aspect of uh, our deal, or when we would say, you know, we're trying to disrupt the domestic help segment, um, there would be a pushback because it was too new at that time. And also because um, domestic help as an industry is so entrenched in our culture. Uh, everyone has some form of a domestic helper coming to their home. And everyone is used to that way of working only. So it was very difficult for people to understand that we were trying to bridge two worlds. And the, one of the reasons we were trying to bridge those two worlds was it went into the business model. Because if the helpers were happy, if the supply side was happy, we could grow the supply side quickly. And uh, with growth in the supply side, demand would flow in. And we've witnessed, we've seen this throughout the last two years. It's always been the supply side that's been the bottleneck, not the demand side. So it was very difficult to convince early uh, potential investors. Um, and so then Caravan was our first and earliest investor. And I think it was uh, um, Javad's uh, gut feel maybe, or something along those lines uh, that he jumped in. I'm, I still don't know, Ahmad, uh, what exactly convinced him. <laughs> I still don't know. But whatever it was, it was extremely helpful, not just because of uh, the cash that it brought in, not, a, not just that, but because it one signaled to us that, hey, we could fundraise in Pakistan, and two, it signaled um, to other investors that uh, other people are interested in this, so we need to jump in as well. Nice. Now, what are some challenges that you face every day being a co-founder, being a social entrepreneur, being a CEO of a company like Mocha? 
I think getting drowned in the operations. Um, looking back, Mocha is a very high-touch service. There um, way too many moving parts in all of this, and it's very easy to drown yourself in data and in uh, the daily operations. And I fear that uh, once you once you're there, you don't see the bigger picture. Um, so that's been a struggle for me to climb out of all of this and say, no, 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 it's okay. I know there are bad things happening, but the team will take care of this or it's much more important for me to uh, stand on the balcony and look, uh, look down on what is really happening. So for me, that's been the biggest challenge. To be able to step out of, out of the details. Now, yeah. we're in a very crazy period. We've discussed this period. Everyone is going through this pandemic and it's hit their businesses in many different ways and shapes and forms. Tell me specifically how COVID has hit your business and how you guys have been mm -hmm. pivoting. What has what is, what is the last two months been for you guys? Hmm. So um, it's hit us really bad because um, suddenly we went from 100 to zero. Um, we had to stop operations. And even if, we, if there wasn't a lockdown, um, uh, customers would still be very apprehensive about having somebody come in and also it would be supremely irresponsible of us to continue to send helpers to uh, customers homes um, and risk a contagion so um, basically all revenue dried up immediately um, so it was of course panic in the first couple of weeks um, we didn't know what hit us <laughs> um, and we were wondering what does this really mean? What uh, will we survive or will we not survive? Um, and of course, um, one starts to think of the traditional ways of survival, which is get some more cash and uh, try and fight this out. But um, we got good advice and we realized this is no way. Um, we One, we don't know the duration of this pandemic and probably that's the most uh, uh, difficult thing about the pandemic just that we don't know when this ends. Um, so we, we said, all right, uh, we've been pivoting ever since. Uh, we, our first pivot was actually trying to manufacture things, uh, trying to do distributed manufacturing through our helpers. We manufactured some uh, face masks and sanitizers uh, and customers and donors actually donated. So those face masks and sanitizers were distributed for free within the communities within the slums and Kachiabadis across Islamabad and Bindi. Mm -hmm. So that was our first pivot. It was meant to see if we could do some form of distributed manufacturing. We learned a lot from that. Uh, the next pivot has been uh, move towards businesses. Uh, we realized that while consumers are scared, there are still businesses um, that one have to operate, uh, so they are in the essential uh, space, or um, they've been locked down for too long and now they want to return to some normalcy. Um, so we start, we pivoted towards them and have been serving them with a disinfection service. Now we're growing that disinfection service to include a few more, um, a few additional services, um, uh, primarily related to cleaning and all. Um, so that's been keeping us busy, this particular pivot towards businesses. 
On the operation side, it, um, this uh, pandemic has actually helped us hunker down and create the processes for the future and create the systems for the future. So we're operating without Kareem at the moment. Um, Kareem is also equally shut down. So it's helped us develop a brand new transport mechanism, um, transport infrastructure, and that it gives us a lot of hope for whenever this is over to stick with this transport uh, mechanism. It's also, we're also operating because we were in a cash uh, cutting mode. So we let go of our call center. Our call center wasn't just handling um, calls from customers, but was also handling operations for us. We let go of the call center and automated quite a few of those processes with our helpers. And so far we've been operating without one and it's going all right. Um, so. So, so yeah, this has been the blessing in in this pandemic. So these are some it's, pivots we've been trying. It's super important for people to realize now that uh, there are different instances in life that happen that you you cannot plan for, and just to see how you guys have acted in the last month, two months, like over our calls and the stuff that you guys are doing. You guys are also raising funds. Um, I'd love for you to tell people about that. It's, it's, it's very interesting. It's very rewarding for me to see, you know, like you either get into a slump and, and you don't do anything and you're like, you know what, like I, I don't know what to do anymore. Or there's this proactive nature where you're like, okay, this is what we're going to do looking forward. This is what we can do today. These are the different kinds of elements that we can do. And that really shows the kind of person, the kind of entrepreneur that you are. And you and Sanya and, and the team of, 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 of Mocha is. And I find that so important for people to kind of realize and, 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 and kind of take their lessons from, from what you guys are experiencing and, and what you guys have done um, in, this, in this journey and in this time period. Thank you for saying that, Ahmad. Um, we had our moment, <laughs> moments, actually. Um, I think we spent the first week um, playing the victim, uh, <laughs> playing, uh, you know, um, sulking about it and just cursing our luck. Um, but then that was it. Um, I think everyone needs that space um, to just do that. And I, I, I'm glad that it lasted about uh, five to seven days for us. And then we said, okay, I mean, we don't have an option. We just have to bounce back and do something different. So, and we had great advice. Uh, we've had great coaches, mentors, and investors, and they've helped us uh, get out of this. So fundraising is something that we are uh, very actively doing. Um, we're in later stages of talks with Acumen as well. Um, so hopefully that will materialize and that will be grant funding. Um, and then there's um, other, there was another accelerator we were part of, the GSBI. Um, so we're trying to get uh, some sort of funding from there as well. We've done uh, very actively, we've raised some donations. Um, so that extends our runway as well. Um, so of course, in these times, <laughs> uh, managing and acquiring cash is incredibly important. We also realized that this window to acquire cash is also very small. Um, as this pandemic stretches out, um, people's propensity to give money, whether those are larger checks in the form of uh, uh, grants or uh, um, equity investment, or the smaller checks uh, like our customers are giving us for donations and all, 
they will very soon dry up. Um, so there's been a very small window. We're trying to make the most of it. It's very, very, very interesting to hear how you guys are doing that. Um, Mustafa, last question for you. If you could describe three of the most important lessons that you've learned in your journey from uh, starting Mocha to today to the rest of your life, what are what, what are some of the three, what are, what are three of the most important lessons that stand out to you? Hmm. Um, so these lessons are going to have um, a little bias in them. They, they are uh, informed by our recent uh, situation. Um, mm -hmm. so, uh, so I think everyone should take this with a pinch of salt. Um, uh, my three lessons are the first one is build the foundations and don't be distracted uh, by the hoopers around you, by uh, what is um, what is I feel, and I think your brother mentions it very well, Amar. Um, this uh, where startups are in this perpetual growth phase or trying to generate growth, which isn't really growth. Um, so it's extremely important, I feel, that people get the, the fundamentals right. Um, uh, they should be growing on their own money, on their own revenues. Um, you need not have a hockey stick growth uh, from day one. If your fundamentals are right, your business will support your future growth. So yeah. that's been uh, the biggest lesson for me. And again, I must say that this comes because of the crisis that we're in and we've had time to reflect on this. So um, this is uh, the first one. The second thing is um, I feel that we, um, had a lot of data and we kind of drowned ourselves in data and we didn't look at the numbers um, that we should be and those numbers were just financial statements. <laughs> um, we built some very impressive data systems for ourselves. We had real-time monitoring and we still do real-time monitoring of every single thing that happens at Mocha. Um, that's great. That's really good. But the fundamentals are governed by your cash situation. <laughs> Without any cash, there is no business. Yeah. Um, I, I wish I had uh, spent an equal amount of time looking at the fundamentals. But again, I was distracted and blindsided by what I was, what was happening in, let's say, in the Silicon Valley or even in Nadon, Pakistan, where, um, Everyone was talking about very rapid hockey stick growth. And we said, yeah, that's the metric, nothing else. Um, so we took our eye off that very important ball. Um, and related to this is my third um, observation. We, I think uh, I would have expanded to a new city like Lahore um, much more cautiously. Um, I would have, uh, we would have sat back and we would have said, do we even need to be in Lahore uh, this year or this quarter? Um, and how can we operate Lahore completely remotely? Is it possible or is it not possible? Those were, those were questions I would have asked myself um, back then. So, so as you can see, these are all very conservative kind of observations. Um, yeah. 
and they come from what we've been in. If, had you asked me before the pandemic, um, <laughs> I would have answered very differently. <laughs> so, inshallah, we get through this, all of us, and uh, get back to business and, and, and better um, with mm. all of the stuff that we've learned and, and, and the resilience that we've, we've probably garnered over the time period that we've been locked down. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we will. I think we will. I agree. <laughs> Thanks, Mustafa. Thank you very much, Ahmad. Um, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you guys have any comments, your feedback, please do send them my way. Mera direct email address hai amad at caravan.vc. Warna aap hamare baare mein aur information hasil kar sakte hain on our website, which is www.caravan.vc or on Instagram. Um, our handle is at caravan.vc. Until next time, khuda hafiz. Selling a little? Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.